so how old were you guys when you stopped watching cartoons on Saturday morning? When did your own Saturday morning ritual come to an end? Like 49? I don't know, 50? Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who save their pennies in cardboard boxes for UNICEF or little plastic churches for Sunday school or taped onto order forms for the Columbia Record and Tape Club. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the holy grail of appointment TV, Saturday morning cartoons. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. One of my very first memories is waking up in the dark, putting on my holly hobby robe, going into my brother's room and getting him out of bed, and then taking him by the hand, which was so soft because it was still basically a baby hand, and walking him into the family room where we would sit and stare at the test pattern until... I think Saturday mornings were my first taste of independence. I would wake up early, my parents still asleep. I'd head to the kitchen where my mom would have put out a couple of boxes of cereal and a plastic bowl on the counter the night before. And in the refrigerator, there would be a pre-poured cup of milk, just the right amount to dump into my cereal bowl. Because we got, we had a milkman and the big glass, you know, gallon jugs. I was not about to be able to pour that. And I guess she didn't want me to bother her in the morning. So that was all ready for me to go. <laughs> My God, what planet did we... you live on? That's amazing. That's... I'd make my cereal choice, probably Apple Jacks or Alphabets. Mm-hmm. God, you're so lucky. And I'd pour my milk into the bowl and I'd head to the family room where I'd plop myself right in front of the TV. And you guys, Saturday mornings was one of the rare times where we were allowed to eat in the family room. Oh. So that feeling, coupled with the control of the television set, Mm -hmm. was priceless. Also, I can see you trying to walk without sloshing the milk over your (laughs) bowl. You know, little like five, six-year-old Carolyn. (laughs) We ate ate cereal watching cartoons too, but dry, right out of the box. You know, my sister and I just stick in our hand right in the box. Mm Oh, I'm sure there were those days, too, or when I was trying to get the prize at the bottom and, you know, shaking it where all the boxes were like, I pushed them in on the side so I could try to shake it out. See, now, um, I thought you weren't supposed to do that. I thought that was cheating. I thought you had to eat all of the cereal and you couldn't get to the prize until you had eaten all of it. Oh, we would dump it all out in a big mixing bowl, pluck the prize out, and then dump it back in. No, No, that is cheating. You have to send your prize back to the company. (laughs) That's right. That is not okay. That is not okay. Okay, when I asked Mike, when I asked my husband what his Saturday morning um, cartoon habits were, he had the same exact memory as me, except he's the little brother. 
in the scenario. Aww. And they would bring their sleeping bags downstairs mm-hmm. and then watch the test pattern. You watch the test pattern like it's a show. You just sit there and <laughs> stare at it waiting for underdog. That's what I was going to uh, tell you guys about my memory is that uh, my sister and I, she's three and a half years older than I am, and we would be the only ones awake, and but bleary-eyed, you know, but you had to get up. And I don't remember, maybe she woke me up or maybe I just, you know, had an internal alarm clock on Saturday mornings that uh, woke me up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, how did Because we know? I That's love really to sleep and I'm a sleeper. Like know? even when I was little, my mom would say, I would ask to go to bed at night and I, she'd have to wake me up in the morning because I, I'm a sleeper uh, until I hit menopause. <laughs> it was all over. But I just remember the box of cereal, and we would grab a bowl sometimes, but no milk. We would just, you know, eat it with our hands, or we might pour it in a bowl, you know, or animals. Um, But we would lay, we would get our sleeping bags, or we would build little forts, or we would have pillows. And even though we might have, you know, a sofa or something to watch uh, TV, we would lay on the floor, and we would put Mm -hmm. our blankets out on the floor Mm -hmm. and just camp out. I mean, camp out all morning long. Yep. Oh, yeah. And the parents probably loved it. Think about that. Oh, I have no doubt. They probably loved, they were like, thank God for Saturday morning TV. Well, when I was little, and as I was saying, getting having control of the TV, I was just this great feeling because I could turn the channel. I think during the week when my parents were around, they were kind of in charge of the TV at other times, but I had this, the power of the control. And then once my sister was awake and around, then I also had control over her. It was like, <laughs> I was practically an adult, you guys, you were on in Saturday charge. mornings. I really yes, was. That's it, true. I think about that. I was in charge on Saturday mornings. I would, And I never wore my robe besides getting up on Saturday morning when I went in to get my brother. Who, I mean, for all I know, he was in his crib and I was getting him out Aww, of his crib. That's seriously exactly. how little he was. And my parents were like, have a good time. Really? <laughs> Kristen's babysitting. She's four, but she's babysitting. You were responsible. Saturday mornings was much more than the cartoons and stuff for me. It yeah. was an experience. <laughs> it yeah. was from that pouring the milk in that cereal bowl, carrying it out there and plopping myself down. It was but you guys, an some, experience. And something we've talked about in the past that is so missing from today is we waited for Saturday morning. I know. You yes. waited all week you for Saturday morning. You looked forward to it. Yes. Our kids, uh, you know, they could watch their favorite cartoons on, um, you know, Disney Clubhouse or Nick Jr., whatever they watched on. Mm-hmm. They could watch those any day of the week. This is the whatever you want, whenever you want, does Uh not equal happiness scenario. The equation doesn't work. It's the participation generation. Right, right. Does does it bring bring them any more happiness? I argue no. (laughs) Okay, Mike is like, you know, Mike was the one who who says, I don't remember. To every um, pop culture question I ask him, to every nostalgia question, I don't remember, I don't remember. He remembers Mm -hmm. when I asked him about cartoons. And so after he told me about coming down in his sleeping bags, later that day he comes in from a bike ride and he's like sweaty and he's all breathless and he's literally coming in the back door with his bike and he's like, do you remember? Do you remember? I'm like, do you remember? Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. And it was just like a one-off character. It was this little frog that was on Looney Tunes or something. And he's like doing a little, okay, that's a lie. He's not doing the vaudeville act. I'm doing the vaudeville act. He's doing, hello, my baby. And I'm like doing the, the little act that the frog does. But you guys, that's what's so special about a lot of these memories that we have as Gen X kids. 
we all had this. We yes. all shared this We moment. were all sitting there. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's just priceless. And I do feel for my kids that I don't think they will have that you know, singular moment that they can bond with so many people about. they won't because they don't even watch the same shows. And what they don't have that we have is they still have the shows that they collectively loved, but we all have the experience. We all had the experience. And I would guess that most people listening also ate cereal out of a box, got Mm -hmm. their sleeping bags or got their favorite blankets, made little camps up on the floor where they stayed for three hours, four hours, five hours with the brother, with the sister Mm -hmm. while the parents were sleeping Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on their own. And that's what we have that, that they don't, they don't have anymore. And it was a very Mm -hmm. bonding sibling experience, Mm -hmm. right? So you didn't have each of the siblings off watching each show that they wanted to their own show. The siblings sat together for the you three, four, to. five hours. Yeah. And you had you, to agree on if you were going to do CBS, ABC, or oh, NBC. It's terrible. That's yeah. Right. Most of us only had one TV in our homes. Right, back in right. This, you know, it wasn't like, of course. you can't go in the other bedroom no, and you watch can't TV. Go to the other. you can't go to the other right. device. There were no devices. You just had the one TV. Mm-hmm. Mike is going to be the star of the show because he just oh, had hey. a, He just was participating in a way that he doesn't participate in anything. So that night at dinner, after his breathless um, vaudevillian routine with the frog <laughs> song, he cues up some classical overture on Spotify at dinner time and proceeds to narrate for me what Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd were doing oh. during each segment of the music. Wow. Like he oh has it memorized. Wow. Mike. I know. That's and a party thinking, trick. Isn't that crazy? Here, I thought he was like, and he listens to classical music. I thought, I thought he was like this oddball Gen X classical music fan. It turns out he's not. He's just a Bugs Bunny <laughs> fan. <laughs> right. And that's how he knows all of this music. Wow. Well, we're going to have to get him to do that for us when we have dinner I know. Next <laughs> he's like, this is when Elmer Fudd is running up and he comes back with a bigger gun. And then Bugs Bunny goes off and he comes back with a bigger gun. And then Elmer Fudd runs off. He with the bigger gun? All of it. It's crazy. That's adorable. And he, had, he made a very profound statement to me. He said, this was the baby Mozart of our generation. Right. Bugs oh, yeah. Bunny was our baby Mozart. Yeah. Oh, That's baby exactly Mozart. Right. It's going to make me Baby cry. Einstein, baby oh, Mozart. Remember all of all them. Those? Yes. I know. Carolyn, tell yes, me how, ma'am. okay, so how did the concept of Saturday morning cartoons even begin? This wasn't always a thing. No, this was not always a thing. Up until like 1960, the only way you could even see any kind of a color animated cartoon would have been in the movie theater. So um, it was not until the 60s that we even saw anything like this on our television sets. And it would be 1960 when the Flintstones debuted. That would be the first color animated series mm-hmm. that was on TV. But it was a primetime show. So we've got the Flintstones until 66 when the Bugs Bunny Hour took over. In primetime or on Saturday morning? This is still primetime. Still, so Bugs so, Bunny was on in primetime? Yes, first. That's crazy. And so, were, so was the Jetsons and Woody Woodpecker. And those shows were all primetime shows. But then they realized the... Station, the TV networks and the production companies like, well, a lot of kids aren't seeing these shows. One, because some of them aren't even staying up as late as some of these shows are on. And two, again, there's only one television in the house. And sometimes the Flintstones was not going to be 
mom and dad's choice of what they wanted right. to watch at night. So instead, they started to think, how can we get younger eyes on our shows? And so they decided that rerunning these during um, a time when kids could watch would be a great idea. That logical time slot was Saturday mornings. Ki most kids were home um, Saturday mornings between 8 and 1. They were already getting up early. Their body clocks were used to mm -hmm. getting up for school during the week. And Saturday mornings was kind of a dead zone in terms of network TV and what you put on during that time slot. So and there was, was no like soccer back then. Correct. <laughs> Nothing, no, there wasn't anything else really competing mm -hmm. for um, attention or time. And as we stated a little earlier, mom and dad maybe they could have partied a little hard on Friday night and they want to sleep in on Saturday. So it was kind of a win for them as well. So um, that's how those shows started. So the original Saturday morning shows were reruns of shows that had previously aired. But then some production companies thought, huh, this is a great little time slot. I think it's time to maybe look at creating some original programming. And so this is when Sid and Marty Croft are kind of getting their ideas going and Hanna-Barbera. And the network saw this as a great way to target new shows and products to kids and maybe make ching a ching. little moolah. Yes, mm -hmm. cha-ching. So essentially, it was an opportunity to market directly to children. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, it was what had been this dead zone now is this potential gold mine. I mean, they are seeing this as dollars, dollars, dollars. The other great thing was cartoons were less expensive to produce than any kind of a live action show or even like mm -hmm. than a Howdy Doody or any of those shows. So the production expense was lower. They could repeat uh, cartoons more often. And for whatever reason, kids didn't always think like, I already saw this one. Or if oh, they did, no. they got it. We did not care. We yes, loved it. We did I loved care. it when it was so right. familiar. I mean, mm -hmm. some cartoons have, they have the shortest run. Some, so many of them are produced for like two seasons and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, like Hong Kong Fooey, I think has 16 episodes total, but they reran them for 10 years. Mm -hmm. exactly. So just because something w has debuted in 1970 and ran from 1970 to 1972 doesn't mean you didn't see it in 1976. Exactly. So by the early seventies, kind of when we're, mm -hmm. you know, pouring the milk in our cereal or eating out of the box, um, these shows and the advertisers were hitting their stride. And when we think about it, and we think about these commercials that we consider classic when we chat about commercials, most of those ran during those Saturday morning right. hours. Yeah. Though all the cereal mm -hmm. commercials. That's why yeah. they're so memorable classic. to us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you think of Captain Crunch. I mean, I could hear his voice. Captain Crunch is a good part of any good breakfast. I was watching mm -hmm. some of those cereal commercials mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the little leprechaun with Lucky Charms. What about, there's an adventure in every bowl of al alphabets. It's uh -huh. all the taglines, yes. too. Remember the honeycomb Oh, hide God. Out? And I yes. took that so literally. Uh -huh. I took all the commercials literally as well, if they were yes. shows. And so I wanted my own honeycomb hideout. Well, let me tell you guys, that was one of the issues that some watchdog organizations started to have. Because as children, it was very hard for us to differentiate between content of mm -hmm. the shows and the content of the commercials. We thought... It was all content and that the honeycomb um, hideout was real and that those characters, I mean, they not only marketed the cereal to us, but we wanted the stuffed Tony the Tiger you could send away for mm -hmm. or the Tricks bunny. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just one constant um, loop of advertising. One of my favorite commercials, do you remember a hanker for a hunk of cheese? Oh, remember yeah, that? that was a, and then that, go, time for timer. 
Time yeah, he'd be like, My hanker for a hunk of, a slab or slice a chunk of, a snicker is a winner, and yet won't spoil my dinner. A hanker for a hunk of cheese. And they'd be like, yes. just put your, sl- he'd, he'd show you how to put the cheese on the cracker, and he had the little tiny skinny legs. Yes. And he'd be like, so what What was he? He wasn't a, he wasn't was an he a animal. Cheese? Was he no. or a lemon? He was like a lemon or something. Yeah, <laughs> like a lemon like he with was legs. a piece of fruit. He would be like, here's a healthy snack, boys and girls. My my husband came in because I asked him if he remembered yeah. it. And he immediately said, I had to write it down as a slice of slab of slunka. And he immediately said, a slice of slab of slunka, a hiker for a hunk of cheese. I mean, that came out of, I was like, what part yeah. of that bra- of your brain did that just fly from? He's like, I have no idea. And there was something about making the little, um, you could make orange popsicles by putting orange juice in your ice cube trays. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I thought, I swore that Timer said, put it in your freezer for 10 minutes. And so we so, did it. We put it in our freezer, and you're supposed to put toothpicks in it. Yes, and after 10 minutes, that. it's just orange juice With sitting the saran in wrap over the top? Yes, yeah, saran wrap over the yes, top. Yeah. So were these, Carolyn, the show, the commercials like that, is that was just very pointed, right? To kind of, to like a palate cleanser for the, the sugary cereals and the McDonald's You'd and like the to toys. think that that was something that um, the networks chose to do, but it was forced upon them yeah. because oh. of these watchdog mm-hmm. um, groups that pointed out the amount of sugary cereal commercials, also the amount of violence they felt were oh. it was in mm-hmm. cartoons. I mean, you already just uh. talked about the gun sizes and yeah, all of that. That you know, um, that they went to the government, and then so the FTC and the FCC put some regulations in. Um, and our little friend with the healthy snacks was an outcome of that. No way. As they were required to do time for they timer. They were required to do have oh, x amount my of. God. Th- um, those kind of ads, or not even ads, because they weren't really it's ads. interstitial material. Is that why um, Schoolhouse Rock came to be? Yes, thank yeah. you. Schoolhouse Rock and in was the an news. answer to that. In the news. And in the news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that was the biggest bummer. That's when you went in the, the news. I'd be like, yeah, right. uh, let's go switch cereals. Exactly. Right. So those were all, because even when we did the Schoolhouse Rock episode. Oh, yeah, everybody um, should listen to that. Yes. But <laughs> that was I a was fun like one. thinking... This was all out of the blue, and they were doing this very altruistically, <laughs> like, oh, wouldn't it be great to teach multiplication tables with this fun, you know, rhyme? And while I'm sure that was part of it, it was also, we got to figure out a way to get some education in here. Yeah. You even see, uh, starting in 1970, there is, um, the Saturday morning lineup is scrubbed of superheroes. Because the parent groups were saying the superheroes were violent TV shows, which is hilarious. Again, when you think about Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and all the anvils that were dropping on people's heads. <laughs> but no, you can't have any superheroes. And I think that, this is my own opinion here, I think that's what gave birth to this very unique period of cartoons that we had in the 1970s. Because it wasn't just comic books and superheroes that we had. It was crazy, actually. It's kind of cuckoo. Yeah, no, yeah. it really, it really was, and it's interesting. Just if you look at the, um, the regulations that were put in during the seventies, and then when um, we had a different political administration come in in the eighties, they removed all of those regulations. So all of a sudden, then it was kind of a free for all again in the world of Saturday morning um, television. But at the same time, too. We were kind of the sweet spot, the Gen X people that we were um, in terms of that Saturday morning time slot because 
as we aged out of it, those kids coming in had more, as we said, demands on their time. There was now mm-hmm. morning sports on Saturdays. Um, there was, or there mm. were other things to occupy your time. There were video games. There was cable TV. And so is that what brought it to an end? Because it does not exist anymore. When did it stop existing? And was it that alone that brought it to an end? Or was there, was it cable TV? What was its It was a combination. There was not one particular um, thing that brought it to an end. And it kind of evolved. So while we don't have maybe the Saturday morning, everybody at the same time sitting down, it was almost a little bit more for us as parents, I think, um, what's the word I want? A little more subconscious because Disney Channel, oh, Disney Channel, no oh, commercials yeah. or whatever. But my gosh, did was Hannah Montana not licensed out the wazoo? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. The marketers and um, TV programmers were finding a different way to kind of get to the same end. They were doing it via a channel rather than a time slot. Correct. And okay. it was a little more free in the cable world as well. Um, it's oh, in terms so the of regulation would not be the same. Like that. So okay, there that's was some freedom there. Okay, yes, so, how, okay. so how old were you guys when you stopped watching cartoons oh, God, on Saturday morning? When did your own Saturday morning ritual come to an end? Oh, like 49? I don't know, 50? <laughs> 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 I don't know. I, I mean, maybe seen... 11, 12? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't. I, I, I didn't know school. either, and that's what. So I decided to look at the cartoon lineup to see if that could give me any clues. And the 1980 lineup did not look familiar to me at all. Mm-hmm. So that told me I was no longer watching Saturday morning cartoons in 1980. So that would make me 12, which is mm-hmm. kind of what you were saying, Michelle. Mm-hmm. And also, this is very interesting because you sort of made, um, Carolyn, the the delineating time period was the 80s, right? Now regulation was changing. Um, in the 80s, the superheroes came back and there was a lot of emphasis on vintage cartoons again. We didn't have the like kooky live action pop music vibe that we grew up with in the 70s. Right. It was back to Heckle and Jekyll, basically. The only contemporary show that was in the 1980 lineup was, what is it called? The Fonz Happy Days Gang. That was oh, the yeah, only I don't even new know show. That. I know. I wasn't watching anymore no. in 1980. So clearly, no. I think 12 was kind of it. Yeah, I think middle school, when we kind of went, mm-hmm. you know, right at sixth grade, probably. And that kind of, so is it... It's like our coming of age coincided with the demise of cartoons. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In general. It wasn't just us. Yeah. Yeah. That sweet spot, which is what makes, I think, our Instagram account and our engagement and all of that, Mm -hmm. because there is this select group, a finite group of people Mm -hmm. who had this experience, this shared experience, and it's fun to talk about it. I feel like Shirley, Mm -hmm. sure. Surely, though, don't call me Shirley. Uh, I feel like there's a good Gen X reference. Mm-hmm. I do feel like the people, the Gen Xers who were born closer to 1980. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would be interested to hear from them because mm-hmm. I do feel like there was still a Saturday morning experience in the mid 80s to late 80s. We're just not familiar with it. And, but it's almost as if the content between 1970 and 1980 was very, very specific and singular. I think so, yeah. No matter what oh, generation definitely. of people you're talking about, mm-hmm. the content that was created between those years is, is the reason that we're talking about this today. It's really yes. crazy. And there are really only a few makers of cartoons, animation studios that created 
dominated the majority of the things that we were watching, which means much of what we were watching was related to something else that we were watching without us really knowing it. So for instance, this is not a complete list of shows. They're just a smattering. Here are the studios that created animation. The first one is Filmation Studios. They created Tom and Jerry, The Archies, Mighty Mouse, and Fat Albert. Um, oh. And Fat Albert is kind of where you have to, this is where we get to separate the art from the artist. Um, because Fat Albert was a huge cultural and educational coup, mm -hmm. really, when mm -hmm. you think about it right. And the artist, of course, is Bill Cosby. And it kind of feels yucky to celebrate him right now. But we can acknowledge what Fat Albert did. So it was one of the only shows that featured people of color. Fat Albert was honored for its educational content, which resulted in... Mr. So-and-so, he who shall not be named, um, receiving an honorary doctorate in education. Mm. So when you see, when you watch the Cosby show and you see created by Dr. William H. Cosby or whatever it is, he earned that doctorate because of Fat Albert. Wow. Mm -hmm. Which was also, um, that show was also in response to some of those regulations. It's like, how can we have an oh. animated series that also mm. features some educational moral, whatever, um, elements to it. So we can avoid, you know, we can get it on the they air. They can get a check, check Remember Mush mm -hmm. I loved Mush Mouth. I know. I know. And that guy who spoke Ubby Dubby, I can't remember what his name was, but he did Ubby Dubby. Um, yes, I can and they, they talked about big stuff that I don't, mm -hmm. I don't recall it being such a serious show, but I they talked either. about like, vandalism and rape yeah. i'm not kidding what sexual what? abuse kidnapping i'm not kidding it's crazy um but did you know <laughs> onto something that is much <laughs> less important that kim carnes of the betty davis eyes mm -hmm. yeah. kim carnes sang backup on the theme song for fat albert <laughs> i did not know that wow. i know and the chorus of the theme song this is where the this is it. where the more you know thing gets shot across our yep, podcast here goes the rainbow mm -hmm. right here and the chorus from the theme song was sampled for the 1998 hit Praise You by Fatboy Slim, which you're right now you're going, what? Yeah, no. But think, then you go, nah, 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 gonna have a good time. And then on the cartoon, they go, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right? <laughs> now you have to go listen to the song. We do. Yes, I'm going to. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. That's really good, Kristen. Okay. Um, then there's... Uh, most people know Hanna-Barbera Studios. Hanna-Barbera did Scooby-Doo, The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Quick Draw McGraw, Huckleberry Hound, mm -hmm. Yogi Bear. I mean, pretty much everything that you know mm -hmm. is Hanna-Barbera. Then there's the DePatty Frailing Studio. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if that's how you say that. I just know that that's how I've been saying it in my head since 1975. So there you go. Okay. Um, and DePatty Frailing was the Pink Panther, Looney Tunes, and Merry Mel Melodies. That's Bugs Bunny and the gang. And all sorts of one-off characters like, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> that one, right? Tons of those. And um, the Pink Panther. Do you guys know how the Pink Panther came to be? The cartoon no. came to be? So the director of the movie, The Pink Panther, starring Peter Sellers, there was a series of Pink Panther movies in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. um, starring Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau. So those Pink Panther movies were directed by Blake Edwards, who is coincidentally oh, the Andrews. husband of Julie, Andrews. Andrews. of Julie Andrews. Correct. So Blake Edwards hired the DePatty Frailing Studio to create an animated um, opening sequence for the Pink Panther movies in which to show their credits. 
the opening credits of the Pink Panther was so popular that it got its own TV show. Oh. There wasn't even a panther in the movie. There's no No. panther. The Pink Panther is the name of a diamond that gets stolen. And then this little pink animated character that is in the opening credits gets its own TV show. Okay, then you have um, Sid and Marty Croft. And we already talked about how in 1970 everything changed because they're like, no more superheroes. They're so violent. And so that opens the door for Sid and Marty Croft who make these giant puppets. And their first show is H.R. Puffin Stuff in 1970, which was so scary. It was. Witchy Poo was just Poo was terrorizing. Right. Oh, my God. And I also used to get um, H.R. Puffin Stuff, the character... Mixed up with Mayor McCheese. They're very they similar. I could they're see that. Very, well, no, they have they the same shape. Mayor, and they have the same yeah. shape head. head. Like it's a hamburger-shaped yeah. head. There's the And the big mouth. There. I know. Yeah. And a big mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so follow H&R Puffin Stuff was followed by Lidsville, The Bugaloos, Land of the Lost, and eventually The Croft Super Show. Um, Phil Collins, I just got to tell you, was actually in the running to be one of the guys in The Bugaloos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Totally serious. He doesn't need Genesis. I've got this gig on this TV show. I'm going to be a bugaloo. Um, The Croft Super Show was hosted by Dr. Cool and the Kongs, which was what like this faux glam rock band, um, which and they were later replaced by the Bay City Rollers. Um, But the songs for Dr. Cool and the Kong were written by the Osmonds. Which, that, then I'm like, oh my god, no wonder I loved Croft Super Show. Okay, so the shows that were on the Croft Super Show were Dr. Shrinker, Electro Woman and Dinah Girl, Wonderbug, um, The Lost Saucer, which is the one with Jim Neighbors and Ruth Buzzy <laughs> and their pet Dorse, which mm-hmm. is part dog, pot ho- part horse, um, in which I, I'm pretty sure that Jim Neighbors was just playing Gomer in a space suit. <laughs> Right. right. It's just, it was, he even goes, golly, like he does this, it's the same shtick. And even, yeah. he even does the singing voice. Like, have, have you heard Jim Neighbors right. singing He's voice? like an opera I man. I saw Jim Neighbors oh, that's right. it was her at first the concert. Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. <laughs> in concert. It was my very first you're, concert. You're talking to a Jim Neighbors expert. And there's this yes. contrast between Gomer and that singing voice, right? Mm-hmm. It's like operatic, practically. It's beautiful. beautiful. It's really different. It is. I don't know. He sings like really classic songs. and yes, it's, it's really weird. A bass voice. Yeah. And he does that as a spaceman, too. Um, and then Sigmund and the Sea Monsters was also mm-hmm. on Crop Super Show. Okay, then you have Total Television Animation Studio. They have hmm. Underdog, Tennessee Tuxedo, Klondike Cat. Do you, does this mean anything to you guys? Savoir faire is everywhere. No, but it would to my husband. He is all <laughs> over all those, uh, those cartoons you just, just mentioned. They're just staring at me like, no. You guys, he... <laughs> Like, he is the biggest underdog and Sweet Polly Purebred fan yeah. ever. He has little, like, figures in his office. He has um, – I still have oh, one of wow. his old T-shirts. And there was nothing more disappointing to him, I'm sure, than when we first started dating. And he was talking to me all about underdog. And I didn't watch it. So I was, like, familiar, but I was, like – I couldn't really go there with him. I'm oh, surprised we kept dating. Brian. I had a friend in high school who looked just like Sweet Polly Purebred. And my brother oh. – my brother says How that when she- he – 
I know. It's She's, crazy. Well, is she a dog? She, yes, she yes. is a dog. My friend was not a dog. She was adorable. But the, she had the same color hair in the same okay. exact shape. In a shape. little shape. Yeah. It was like a little hat do, on top and a little flip do underneath. You guys, I have a fun fact about Sweet Polly Purebred. Do you know yeah. who voiced Sweet Polly Purebred? No. Uh, Alison Arngrim's mother. Alison no. Arngrim is Nellie Olson, And her oh mother was a very famous voiceover actress. And she uh, voiced oh Gumby. And she voiced Sweet Polly Purebred. Mm-hmm. Nellie Olson's mom was Gumby? Mom. And Gumby, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, no. Michelle. Um, Sweet Polly Purebred was also my brother's first crush. Oh, I, he said I, his, I, his tummy yeah. felt a little funny when mm-hmm. he looked at her. I, I, ha- I don't have... Um, authorization from my husband to share that that is that he would agree and could relate to that so let's just say he might have felt the same (laughs) he might have gotten a funny feeling in his tummy (laughs) oh he's gonna kill me because that's probably not even true but oh my god remember simon bar sinister yes yes simon barson and he had like he had like a gash on his head or something Mm -hmm. with stitches It was scary. He was, he was scary. scary. Okay, then there was also J. Ward Productions. And these, think about all of these, picture all of these cartoons, and you'll be able to see in your head that they're all similar. Rocky and Bullwinkle, mm-hmm. Fractured Fairy Tales. I love I Fractured, fairy, Fractured tales. fairy Tales. Mr. Peabody and Sherman, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and Dudley Do-Right. Um, did you guys gravitate towards one style of cartoon or the other? I definitely did. Definitely. I was, I mean, I was pretty much all vintage animation all the time. Like that was my favorite. I loved, I loved all the animal animate, you know, the animal characters. Um, I loved cartoons way more than I loved um, live action. And I, I don't Mm -hmm. actually have a very vivid memory of all those live action shows. I land of the lost. I do, but all the other sit in Marty Croft. I'm familiar with the titles, but I don't, because I think I was spending all my time watching animated. I was all about all the animal ones, the Hanna-Barbera's, the Looney Tunes, way more than I was about people with um, kind of scary things happening where, you know, there was a bad guy out to get you or, There's always a robber. I liked Scooby-Doo because it was funny and I loved the characters and that, but even that made me a little uncomfortable, you know, because it was a little scary. You're not alone. Yeah, I know people who were afraid of Mm Scooby-Doo. But I definitely, um, I definitely loved anything animal like anything you just mentioned earlier like all the especially shows when they were them. really cute like mm-hmm. droopy mm-hmm. well i am going to flip that narrative totally and tell you that i disliked all of the things that you liked i disliked any animal that like was acting like a human yeah <laughs> so that's, that's kind shocking. of a lot of cartoons that is shocking so you're consistent right. yes yeah, yeah. so um if i was did have to pick any kind of animated cartoon it would have been the scooby doos uh-huh. um, where there are actual people so um i actually gravitated toward those live action mm-hmm. um programs because they could kind of maybe really happen and um i just thought they were clever and the plots were kind of fun and i felt more grown up i think watching those i might in some level might have said cartoons were for babies or mm-hmm. something but yeah no because, you know, they don't talk. Animals aren't supposed to talk. They're not supposed to have little hands. I was with you. I loved I loved the live action. 
I loved cartoons too, but I loved the live action. But more importantly than that, I think the the pull for me even more than the live action was anything that had a band. You had to have a band or I wasn't tuning in. <laughs> so I watched all the shows that had a band in them. Okay, I know this is hard. Um, choosing a favorite cartoon is like the ultimate Sophie's choice. But if you had to choose your number one favorite, like the one, not your number one favorite, that's, that's wrong. The one that you really, really looked forward to when you were a kid. Would you have one that stood out to you? Well, I have one that checked so many boxes for me. And it wasn't actually on that long, but it was called Electra Woman and Dino Girl. <gasps> Electra Woman and Dino Girl. It has a great <laughs> theme song, which, by the way, I happened to find a YouTube video of Cindy Lauper singing that, oh, dressed oh in one of the villain villainess costumes <laughs> from Electro Man and Dina Girl, which I think was during a TV Land award ceremony with a tribute to um, the crops. Electro Woman and Dina Girl, fighting all evil deeds. Each for a magazine, hiding the life she leads. In the back were Electro Women and Dina Girls dancing all around. So, yes, so it, that has an excellent theme song. But I think it checked so many boxes for me for a variety of reasons. If you recall, I really loved when I would find a someone I recognized from one show in another show. It was just like, oh, my gosh, they're so-and-so. <laughs> and um, in Electro Woman and Dina Girl, Dina Girl is played by an actress named Judy Sturgis, who was on a show called Room 222. Now, I don't know if either yes, of you remember I do. Two, I Room do. 222. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar. Starring Karen Valentine. But my mom loved that show, and she would let me watch it. It's a grown-up show. It was. It yeah. was about high school, and um, Judy was one of the students in it. But I got to watch it with my mom, and then all of a sudden, there's Judy on <laughs> Electro Man and Dina Girl. She's Dina Girl. That was so exciting to me. And then... Let's also say here we have two female superheroes. Yeah. Right. So they were mm-hmm. reporters by day, worked for a magazine, kind of a news magazine, and then could go into this thing and spin around. And then there they were, Electra Women and Dina Girl. And they almost had like Apple Watch thingies. And yeah. so my sister oh, yeah, and I did. had these, those little kittle bracelets. And we and would, would play, play mm-hmm. Electra Woman and Dina Girl. And we'd talk into it to our uh-huh. assistant. Frank, who worked in the um, Electric Cave, and he would keep us <laughs> up to date on all the crime that was happening on the Crime Scope computer. Um, and so I loved that females were kind of in this lead. I loved that it was the perfect age and stuff that I could be Electroman, my sister could be Dyna Girl, we kind of didn't fight, we could run around and play it after. So it, it had an extended life with us. It wasn't mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. that little time on Saturday mornings. And um Another little rabbit hole I went down, but their assistant, Frank, was an actor named Norman Alden. And when I looked up what Norman Alden was in, no wonder I loved this show. Because Norman Alden, I think, was in every 70s show you could possibly imagine. Like a guest actor? Yes, a guest actor. And sometimes a repeated um, character. He was in My Three Sons, The Rookies, Alice, Dallas. I mean, you go down his IMBD thing, that guy was everywhere. So it it was really fun. And that was my favorite. Well, my favorite, I'm going to represent the OG cartoon. And at the Good risk of you. being way too unoriginal, I just have to say my go-to show was the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. And it had, it had everything I wanted. It 
it was everything I needed in a Saturday morning show. It checked off all my boxes. It was funny. It was cute. It had just enough action and suspense for me because let's not forget who I was as a child. So this should really not be that surprising <laughs> to you guys. Um, that, you know, like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of mystery type shows or cartoons there were, where there was a bad guy. Um, so Bugs Bunny Roadrunner was like just my that, pace. That is a recurring theme it's with just you. My you don't pace. like any sort of peril. I don't like conflict. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. I don't like conflict at all. Um, because like the bad guys in Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, you know, they weren't the mad scientist who maybe were going to capture you or do something yeah. bad to you. It was more like a scheming Sylvester or like the harebrained tricks of Wiley E. Coyote, which were funny. You know, they weren't mm-hmm. really things that were plausible. It wasn't something that I really had to worry about happening. I loved the opening theme. You guys remember the characters after Bugs and Daffy would do their little na 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 on with the show. This is it. On with the show. This is it. All the characters come prancing out like in a chorus line across yes. the stage. I love that. I still love to watch that. I love watching that. And I, you know, you'd call out and you'd you'd watch them as if they were characters coming out on stage in front of you. It was so exciting, and um, I loved like the short format of all the cartoons, you know, cause they were just kind of enough. And then, and then it would go into the next one. Um, did you have a favorite, I, like in that chorus line? Yeah. All, that's where all the one-off characters are. The right. little frog that sings, hello, my baby. Did you have a favorite one-off character? My two favorites, Sylvester, Tweety and Granny. Were of my course. Oh, I like one Granny. Of them. So funny like to me, <laughs> but also just enough, like that kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety too. Like, even though, you know, Sylvester's never going to catch Tweety and Tweety was so smart, right? Mm-hmm. So, same with Coyote and, and Roadrunner. It mm-hmm. made me laugh, but it wasn't, um, it didn't give me so much, you know, anxiety to push me over the edge. Um, yeah. So I'm going to give you guys a list and tell me, um, if you liked them. I mean, Carolyn, I think I like the one-off like characters better than, so, than Bugs and the rest of the game. Well, it was the, it was Bugs Bunny and then mm-hmm. Daffy Duck and then Porky Pig. I did like Porky Pig. Elmer Fudd. Uh, Yosemite Sam, who I did not like. I didn't like him either. He, he was annoyed angry. me. Yeah. Well, he was, he was just an angry little mm-hmm. man. Uh, Sylvester and Tweety and Granny. Love them. And Granny was always just tottering around with her little Tweety cage. Very you know? unwitting. Just yeah, like, and she yeah. loves Sylvester so much. She has no mm-hmm. idea what no Sylvester's idea up to. No idea trying to kill her Tweety bird. Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner. That was just so funny to me. <laughs> Carolyn's like I'm out I'm sorry <laughs> what, like you know the dynamite they're always like oh so much dynamite TNT. so much dynamite so much dynamite uh there was Foghorn Leghorn not, not my favorite I didn't like the way Foghorn Leghorn but he's we, a big chicken were, Carolyn yeah the big, big chicken, chicken who, he's a big rooster there was Pepe Le Pew that's really cute oh, little stuff. Yeah, who's now been canceled. Yeah, he's been canceled. But you know what? I watched Pepe Le Pew, and I'm like, oh, I think he should be canceled. <laughs> well, and Speedy Gonzalez, that's not yeah, a, mm-hmm. a real that's not okay today. Yeah. No. That's not okay. Um, at the time, though, you know, at the, let's go, let's let's all remember at the time, yes, we watched the time. these things, and it was, it was okay. Now, thank goodness, we can all recognize that that yeah. is not okay. Okay, happier topic is Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Now Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Johnny and Scott are friends, the finest friends that that little sea monster i loved him so much i love the way they held his little tentacle when they walked down the street with him 
and how he fell down all the time because it's because all his tentacles would get in the way and whenever he fell down the tentacles would just be flying everywhere i loved it so much he fell down a lot um so sigmund and the sea monsters was on the croft super show from 1977 1975 to 1977 but of course the repeats go on forever um and it's about two brothers johnny whitaker who um who played Jody in Family Fair is one of the brothers. And then there's another one. And who the looks, littlest angel. And the littlest that. angel. <laughs> correct. Yes. He was like in all the Disney movies and lots of Hallmark made for TV movies. And then the other brother, I don't know who it is. It just looks like the kid looks like Oliver from the Brady Bunch. Um, that was like a type in the seventies, mm-hmm. the Oliver kid. And so um, they go to the beach and they find this little baby sea monster at the beach. And his sea monster family has kicked him out of their cave because he's not scary. And this is this recurring theme during the 70s of people being without parents or even being rejected by parents as if there's just no big thing, right? These parents don't yeah. want them anymore. No big, like, ugh. So Johnny slash Jody is like, well, hey, do you want to come live with me and my housekeeper? No parents. <laughs> no parents. <laughs> just live with my housekeeper, but you can come live with us. And so Sigmund goes to live with them and he lives in their clubhouse. Didn't you guys want a clubhouse? Yes. I wanted a clubhouse so badly. And from watching TV, you would think that everybody had a clubhouse. And you're like, God, I can't <laughs> believe I don't have a clubhouse. Oh, I wanted it so bad. So the plots are really um, kind of something you'd make up with your friends in the backyard. <laughs> it's possible it was completely improvised. They're not <laughs> super, um, they're not super titillating. And some of the puppets, I mean, the Croft brothers, they did amazing work, but sometimes it just looks like stuff you got out of the costume closet in yeah. your high school drama department. It's like scotch tape and construction yes, paper. Mm-hmm. But we did not care. We loved it. We loved it. And there, of course, a band, which is right. <laughs> I will only show, watch shows with a band in it. So Johnny Whitaker slash Jody will just break into song you know, whenever they need to. And, and he's not a good singer, but he is a good lip syncer. He's a really good lip syncer. <laughs> he can really sing with feeling and he looks into the camera and you really believe everything that he says. And he, it sounds like he's being backed up by a full band, but it just, but it looks like it's just his brother strumming a guitar. And honestly, I don't think the guitar even had strings on it. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just like air strumming this pretend guitar. Um, but the songs are good. They're really good. There's lots of oohs and ahs and bop bahs and harmonizing and stuff like that. And the reason the songs are so good is because the people who did the music for Sigmund and the Sea Monster are the same people who did the music for the Monkees and the Partridge Family. Oh, my God. No oh. wonder I'm sitting there every Saturday watching Sigmund yes. and the Sea Monster. Um and the and Sigmund's family of origin is sort of like a cross between the Beverly Hillbillies and the Sopranos. So Mama Ooze, Mama Sweet Mama Ooze, they actually modeled her character after Phyllis Diller. And they even give her oh. all of these tentacles on her head sticking up so she has the crazy hair. And then Big Daddy Ooze, the dad, is modeled mm-hmm. after Archie Bunker. Mm. And then the brothers, Slurp and Glurp, oh, yes. they're modeled after Gomer Pyle. <laughs> you go, Jim Neighbors. I know, right? Oh, my God.
I can't even begin to tell you how fun this episode was for me to get ready for you guys. If I could devote my entire career to researching Saturday morning cartoons from the 1970s, I would do it. <laughs> it turns out it's a really good hobby, and it gives Mike and me something to talk about. And I didn't realize, <laughs> I just, I had no idea what an impact this still has on me, how fun it is to still watch these shows, so much so that I'll just, I'll sit and watch all the commercials too. So if you need a nostalgia cure right now, this is your medicine. Make a list of those cartoons you loved when you were a kid, look them up on YouTube, then put on your jammies, grab a bowl of cereal and park yourself in front of the boob tube, invite some friends over. It would be such a groovy party, except if, if it were my house, all you'd be able to have is like Golden Grahams. And that's it. Golden Grahams are the, one of the best cereals ever. And well, they're okay, full isn't of sugar. It, it's full of sugar, but my mom thinks it's not a sugared cereal, so you can uh, have Golden Grahams. It I doesn't have a character on the front, so it must be healthy. Golden Grahams oh. to this day. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. The best what dry could be cereal. BYOC? Bring your own Bring cereal. Bring your own cereal. Okay. Golden Grahams, Corn Bran, and oh, if you were lucky, you got Cinnamon Life. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode and go get your nostalgia on. And join us next time when we'll be counting down the best TV theme songs of the Gen X latchkey era. Hint, hint, that includes after school time because no one watched more after school reruns than we Gen Xers. The theme songs, those are often the best part of the mm-hmm. te- oh, of Or the, the commercials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and if you like our conversations, tell us. Tell a friend, and most importantly, tell whatever platform you listen on by leaving a review and subscribing. Honestly, I know we say it over and over, but it's the only way we'll continue to get heard. And follow on social media. We have so much fun pretty much everywhere on social media, just search Pop Culture Preservation Society. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of our favorite Santa Monica roommates, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Cheers. 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 That's all, folks. Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.